0: Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to be with you this morning. Would you just join me in a word of prayer before we begin? Father, would you just help us to uh, quiet our hearts right now, quiet our minds. May we be centered on just you, and may we hear the, your voice as we, uh, as we ponder and, and, uh, and read your word. Lord, would you give us a deeper understanding of what it means to worship the king, to serve the king, and to live in the kingdom following your ways. So we just commit our time now and we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for this place and the opportunity to to be together and to worship you. We just commit all this time now to you in the worthy, precious name, Lord Jesus Christ. And all God's people said... Amen, amen. Well, songs kind of come and go, don't they? But there is a song that we're going to look at today that has lasted 2,000 years, and it's a song that continues to rock the world. Now, what's very interesting about this song is it's written by a songwriter who wasn't just an observer of the things that he's writing and singing about but it's written by somebody who was intimately involved and a part of the story so what i want to do is maybe for the moment here is go back and take a look at the backstory story of this particular songwriter and get a little insight from him his name is Zechariah, and he is the father of john the baptist and we read about this in Luke chapter 1, and, and the backstory story begins in verse 5, and, and we're told that Zechariah is a young priest, and he marries this woman, Elizabeth, who was the daughter of another priest, and it was like, this was a great thing for the two of them to come together, and the word of God says that both Elizabeth and Zechariah obeyed the commands of the Lord and lived righteously before him. Great couple, amazing couple. But there was a problem. Elizabeth was barren. No children. Sometimes things just don't go as we plan, right? No children. And now, here we are many, many years later, and throughout the decades, both Zachariah and Elizabeth had prayed that God would give them a child. But now they're they're beyond those years. And as a priest, Zechariah, one of his greatest dreams, because the dream of every priest was to be chosen by lot to go in at the appointed day of the week to uh, go into the temple in the Holy of Holies to perform the priestly duties. Every priest wanted to do that, but there were four or 5,000 priests in Jerusalem at that time and very few were chosen and you could only do it one time. And would you believe that this particular time, Zechariah's name was pl- was pulled from the hat. He, 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 He's the guy who got to go in. He was so excited. And so he goes into the, the temple on the appointed day and he's performing his priestly duties and all of a sudden, the angel Gabriel appears to him. Now, this is an amazing sight. Gabriel just, those times he appears in the, in the, in the scripture, people hit the floor. I mean, they are just awestruck by this creature. And immediately, Zechariah is taken back and, and Gabriel says, Zechariah, don't be afraid. Do not be afraid, for I come here today to give you good news. Your prayers have been answered. Elizabeth, your wife, will be with child. You will name him John. Listen carefully, Zechariah, because he will be great before the Lord, and he's gonna come in the spirit and the power of Elijah, and he's gonna turn the hearts of many in Israel back to the Lord. Zechariah, I love this. How do I know these things are going to happen? <laughs> Wrong answer. Wrong thing to say. So Gabriel looks at Zechariah. Zechariah. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God he is the one who sent me to give you this good news and now because you have not believed you shall not speak another word until the things that i have said today come to pass and with that gabriel is gone and with that zachariah could not speak a word now it says a short time later elizabeth was with child and then she gave birth later to a boy and on the eighth day which was the custom of the day they would take the child to the temple and have him uh dedicated to the lord and and they would perform the circumcision at that time you know lift him up and 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 praise to god and so they take him to the temple and the priest who is there and the witnesses are there and they ask, what is his name? And, and Elizabeth said his name is John and that was quite shocking because it made no sense. I mean, why isn't his name Zechariah? And they turned to Zechariah and said, what is the child's name? And he wrote, his name is John. And immediately, immediately, he erupted. Now, think about this for a minute. For nine months, he couldn't preach. Nine months, he couldn't do the Bible study that he led on Thursday night. For nine months, he couldn't counsel, you know, counseling for marriages and premarital counseling and all the other things. Couldn't do it. He sat at home. And all he could do was think about what he saw, what he heard, and every priest of the day would have memorized the entire Old Testament And in his mind, he would have meditated on all of those verses, and here he is finding himself right in the middle of the story, and his own son is gonna play a key role. And so what we're going to see is the theme of this song that he is about to sing. And there are four things in the theme. And the general theme of the story is he's gonna talk about four important things that are true in the kingdom of God, and oftentimes, in the 21st century American church, we don't hear about these things. In fact, the the gospel has been radically changed in the last hundred years. If this is the gospel pie, and when I say the word gospel, what comes to your mind? You know, for many, the idea of the gospel is Jesus came, died on the cross, rose to heaven, and because he did that, my sins are forgiven and I'm going to heaven. Those are true facts, but that is just a sliver of what the gospel is about. And today, Zechariah is going to expound on some critical elements that every believer should uh, should grasp. So let's begin, and and see if we can discover deeper meaning to the purpose and meaning of the gospel. First thing we're going to do is look at um, the, the the song that begins in verse 67, which is chapter one, verse 67. By the way, the song is called Benedictus. There are a number of scriptures that are referred to in the the Bible that are referred to as songs. This is called Benedictus, a Latin phrase, which means blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And it's named that because that's how Zechariah begins this prophetic statement. So this is what he says. It says, and his father, John's father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he prophesied, saying, blessed be the Lord, God of Israel, for he has, and here is the first thing that he's going to focus on, for he has visited and he has redeemed his people. What comes to mind when you hear the word redeemed? What comes to mind when you hear the word redeemed? I've been asking a lot of people that question. And uh, I remember the, the, the response I got from Harry. This was, I said, Harry, what comes to mind when you hear the word redeemed? He says, I get a coupon. <laughs> and I get, get to turn it in. I, I just wanted to explode in laughter. I mean, isn't that hilarious? I mean, that we in our, this, the last 50 years, we coupons, nobody, probably previous centuries, nobody, that wasn't even around. But you know, it's, it's, it's funny, but it's sad in the same tense because there are some people who think that the gospel is about a coupon. I repeat a prayer, I get a coupon. Someday I'm gonna die and I'm gonna wake up outside those pearly gates, and maybe Peter, I don't know, whoever comes out and says, why should I let you in? Well, I got a coupon right here. It says, I attended church two times a month. Gave money. I was even part of a group. Now, the word redeemed means something entirely different than a coupon. The word redeemed means that you have been released from bondage for the payment of a price. You have been released from evil and desperate circumstances for the payment of a price. Now, I know some right now are thinking, released from what? Because in our 21st American century view of things, this stuff sometimes doesn't make sense that much sense but let's go back to the first century let's go back 2,000 years to the time of Zechariah to see if we can better understand what was going on at that time now in their culture the number one value was knowing about God unlike our culture today and so many of them they were very familiar with the word of God and they knew who their spiritual enemies were But even greater than some of that was the times they lived in. The first century was a time of of amazing struggle and depression and no hope. The Roman government was in control. They were cruel, oppressive. They would kill you for no reason. Life was cheap. Death was everywhere. You walked into a city. You were likely to see bodies hanging on a tree on a cross. The Roman government would put them there to send a message to the people, don't mess with us. This is what it was like, 50%. 50% of the people who lived at that time were in slavery. The Roman government would go in and they would conquer a land. They would kill many, take others back to be sold on the auction block. And those that they left were oppressed. Women had no rights. 90% of the people lived in abject poverty poverty as we know it today. This was not a fun time to live, as we think about it. Now, the people of Israel also knew their own history. They knew that they had been carted off into exile and were slaves four times during their history. And there was all this abuse, and now they're under the control of the Roman government. They understood these things. So when they heard the first stanza of the song that blessed be that he has come to redeem us they shouted for joy in fact i'm sure that this song was number one on the charts the first week in jerusalem go back to the 21st century what do we need to be redeemed from why do i need to be redeemed who paid the price to set me free You see, if I don't know what I'm redeemed from, then it's pretty hard to know how I have a vision for for how I want to live in the kingdom, to be motivated to want to live in the kingdom, to have any desire to want to pursue and follow Christ. After all, I got a coupon. So Zachariah is going to answer the question, why do I need to be redeemed? And who do I need to be redeemed from? Who pays that price? Verse 67, and this is the second thing that, he, that comes out in the theme of the song. He says, God has visited and redeemed his people and he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of the servant David as he spoke of by the mouth of the holy prophets from old that we should be, here it is, saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. And so the first thing is, in the song, is that we've been redeemed from evil circumstances. We have been saved from all of our enemies. Now, it's interesting he uses the word here, a horn of salvation. So I've I've got a. A horn, this would have been similar, somewhat similar perhaps to what they had at that time. And so there's meaning behind the words horn of salvation because throughout the Old Testament, the Old Testament prophets would talk about the horns of the Gentiles were raised against the nation of Israel. And so oftentimes what would happen is a nation who was attacking another, you know, they would take the horns and they would raise the horns and the horns would, would, would bellow out might sound something, I'll try this, like this. You ready? Oops. Okay. I, I think I messed that up. I tried to do this once and I practically blew out my vocal cords. It, was, it is a very hard thing to do. But imagine you're in a village and you hear 20 of those things bellowing out. Let me tell you what you're thinking about right now. This is the worst day of my life. Life will never be the same. I'll probably be killed, hauled off to be sold for slavery, or raped, or oppressed beyond imagine. That's what this means. The horns of the Gentile nations were raised against the nation of Israel. And so now what God is saying in this verse, there is a new horn, a new horn of salvation who's coming with might and power because that's the symbolism of the horn, strength and power to defeat all of your enemies. You've been redeemed and you have been saved from all of your enemies. Now would be a good time for somebody to say amen. Amen. That is good news. That is very good news. What comes to mind when you hear the word salvation? You know, the word salvation means to restore to your present health. It means to be rescued and to be to make safe. Safe from what? What do I need to be redeemed from? Well, Zechariah is going to answer the question in the same verse. He says, you've been redeemed, saved from desperate circumstances, taken out. Someone paid a price. Jesus paid with his life and his blood on the cross for you. You've been saved from your enemies. Who are our enemies? Who are your enemies? You know, I've been asking people in recent weeks, who are your enemies? And you know what? That's a hard question for most people to answer. And that's just kind of an indicative of the times that we live in is that somehow we we don't grasp fully who our enemies are. So let me give them to you. There's five of them. Here's the first one. Your greatest enemy is death and judgment. Death is an enemy. We read about this. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned, fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says that the payment, the penalty for my sin is death death is an enemy and judgment follows death this is why jesus spoke to nicodemus in john 3:3 3, 3 and said you must be born again you must be born of the spirit you need a new life because this old life you have that's not good enough that isn't going to make it you need a new life you need a new heart ezekiel 36 you need a new spirit that's the spirit of god that comes within us you are a new creation second corinthians 5 17 you you have a new life you have a, a new mission you have a new position you have a new identity you have a new calling on your life god has redeemed us out of the kingdom of this world placed us into the kingdom of god and he's given us a brand new life so that we're capable now to follow the leading of the Spirit of God that resides in the true believer. question is, am I doing that? Am I willing to submit to that? So that's our first enemy. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 15. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your power? where Where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives the victor through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus came to redeem you from desperate and evil circumstances and he came to save you from your enemy death and judgment. Here's the second enemy, sin. Jesus talks about this one himself when he says in John 8:34, "Truly, truly I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin." You're in a desperate circumstance when you're engaged in sin. You know what? Lots of people today in the world today that we live in that are trapped in a pattern of living of sin they don't even know they're in a desperate circumstance in matter of fact we can walk into the activities of this world and find ourselves a slave to them and not even know it zechariah makes very makes this very clear you know this is this this is an enemy the slave jesus says does not remain in the house forever but the son remains forever so If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. You've been set free from the power of sin over you. Before you were a true believer, you you couldn't help yourself. You were trapped in this sinful nature, the sinful body that you possess. But something happened to you. When you put your faith and trust in Christ, you became a new creation. The Spirit of God took up residence in your life. And now, before, you know, you just had the flesh man or woman living in you. Now the Spirit of God lives there. And the first thing that happens is the flesh woman says, what are you doing here? The Spirit of God says, she's mine. I've redeemed her. And the flesh woman says, uh-uh, she's mine. And the war begins. You know what I'm talking about? The war for you begins. But God says that He who well, let's read the next. Uh, let's read, read the next. And this is the flesh. Uh, the, the third one is the flesh. And and Paul talks a lot about this in Romans chapter seven. Romans one, two, and three, we are we're condemned before God. Romans four, five, and six, we are justified. Jesus came and died for us. Romans seven is a very interesting chapter in the Bible. Because up until this time, all the way up through seven chapters, the Spirit of God is mentioned one time, just one time. In chapter eight, he is mentioned 22 times. Okay, seven, in chapter seven, Paul says something like this. You know, the very things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I don't wanna do, those are the things I do. Anybody relate to that? You see, and you've done this before, you know, you have said, you know, I'm not gonna, I, I, I confess the sin, I'm not gonna do this anymore. I'm going to church, I'm, you know, I gotta, I'm in a Bible study group, I'm, I'm, I'm serious this time. Forgive me, Lord, I'm not gonna do this anymore. And you go right out, and you what? You do it. Because you're incapable of doing it because of the flesh that controls you. And so chapter seven, Paul is teaching a lesson. You, in your own strength, there's no way. You are not equipped in your own strength to do this, and that's why he introduces in chapter 8, it's like a plot twist, and a new character comes into the story, something that every believer needs to understand this, and I feel like I've been gypped, and I'm sure it's my own problem, but I never learned about this in the years before. Verse 8, 1 and 2 of Romans, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus for the law of the spirit of life, that's the spirit of God that takes up residence in your life, has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. I am not capable of fighting off the flesh and the sin. I can't, no matter what I do, my mind, Paul says, with my mind I will worship God, but with my flesh I am trapped in the sinful body. Verse seven, if, if chapter seven ended Romans, it'd be like, oh my goodness, we're gonna live our entire lives trapped in this sinful body. It says his last words, but thank God for sending Jesus Christ. Okay, I get to go to heaven, but I can't, I, there's nothing I can do. But he says, no, no, you don't understand. I am going to send. This is what he told the disciples. He said, I'm going to, I need to leave. I'm going back to, to the king, back, to, the, back to, to heaven, be with God, but I'm coming back But 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 what I'm going, I'm going to send the Helper, the Comforter, who will lead you, help you, guide you, teach you, convict you, encourage you in your new life, in your new walk, as you learn to submit to the Word of God and the leading of the Holy Spirit in your life. For years, I didn't I did not grasp that, and as a result, I I I I believe I was a true believer, but I was struggling over here. I just didn't understand what it meant to submit to the King and to, to be a part of the kingdom. Jesus said, I'm leaving, I've got work to do, but here's what I want for you. I want you to be my ambassadors. I want you to enter the kingdom of God and to be used by me. And so I'm gonna give you the Holy Spirit so he will convict you, teach you along the way so that you can experience spiritual transformation in your life so that your life will shine brighter so that I might use you in the kingdom and you can serve me this way. Here's your next enemy, number four, Satan, the evil one. And Jesus, again, is speaking in John 10.10. He says, the thief comes, Satan comes, only to steal, kill, destroy, and deceive you. He will do everything he can to do that. And he has done a magnificent job in our culture. In our culture, it is all about entertainment, social media, materialism. These things have just Overwhelmed us to the point where we are so attracted to it that we make no room in our life for the things of God. Now, that doesn't mean you're not in the world. We're all in the world, but Jesus himself said in Matthew 6 Seek first the kingdom of God. There's nothing wrong with going out into the world and working hard and doing well and etc. But when those things crowd Jesus out they know, and Jesus is no longer number one in your life, then we have become chained, we've allowed these things to make us a slave and we don't even know it. And when I'm a slave, when when I'm in the world and I'm allowing my sinful nature and my flesh, these enemies to take hold of me and deceive me to where I'm not even really realizing I'm doing this, you know what I do? I quench the work of the Spirit. That's what what the Word of God says. I quench the work of the Spirit and and I flatline in my spiritual life. Anybody ever experienced some of that? Am I the only one? Satan has three goals for your life. Number one, he he wants to prevent you from hearing the real truth. He doesn't mind the deceived version. As a matter of fact, he loves religion. He'll do everything he can to to, to, to keep you from hearing the truth. If you hear the truth, then he'll go to number two. His second goal is to prevent you from acting, receiving that truth, and making it part of your life. And if you do that, then he'll go to number three. And the third goal is to send you into heaven limping. He'll do everything again to put out the light, to, 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 do it, to destroy your testimony so you cannot serve him and be an effective ambassador in the kingdom of God. That's what he wants. What's the fifth enemy? It's the world. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians 4. In verse 4, he says, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of christ who is the image of of god so how does the evil one blind us in this world well i think we've made the point it becomes so attractive the world becomes more attractive to us than pursuing christ over here and when that happens I get sucked up over here, I don't even know it, I quench the work of the Spirit, and I'm not experiencing the abundant life that Jesus talks about. The rest of John 10, 10, when Jesus says, the evil one comes for this, but I've come to give you the abundant life. And you know, the the word abundant there is very interesting. Because when we think about, again, what comes to mind in our 21st century when we hear abundant life? You know, cars, money, vacations material things. No, the word abundant means a far superior life is yours. There is a far, you are a new creation, you have a new life, new mission, new position, new condition. You have a new calling on your life and now what God wants me to do by the power of the Spirit that he has placed in me, take the Word of God and to to study the Word of God, submit myself to to the leading of the Holy Spirit and to spiritually transform. You know, there's a lot of churches that I think believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Scriptures. Anybody get that? It's like we forget the Spirit and the role of the Spirit of God in our lives. No, it's a critical piece. So God has redeemed you from bondage, He saved you from your enemies. These are two gifts He has given you to every true believer. but they come with a condition. They come with a condition. Some of you are going, "Wait what? Come with a condition? I thought they were free. No. No, they're not free. At least a great price was paid. And they are free in the sense that there's nothing that you can do to uh, earn them, but look what Jesus, or what it says in John chapter one verse 11. It says that he, Jesus, came to his own and his own did not, what's that word? Receive, receive him. But to those who did receive, receive him and all who believe. believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. So receive and believe are two sides of the same coin. So what does receive means? Receive means to grab it, take it, and make it your own. Grab it, take it, make it your own. Believe is an action verb and it means to turn in the direction of that truth, submit to it, and allow the power of the Spirit of God to change my desires because I can't do it in my own strength so that I no longer want to pursue these things, but I want to pursue this. But I have to receive it. What does that look like? How do I receive it? Well, let me give you a metaphor. Let's see. There is a guy named Joe. And he was in college. I think it was University of Michigan. And he went to a gathering, and he saw this woman, this young gal, walk in. And, and, and there was this guy, Keith, who was a friend of Joe's, and Joe goes over to Keith and says, hey, do you know that gal over there? He goes, yeah, that's Carrie. Oh, can you introduce me to her? I mean, I'd like to meet her. Well, I don't think she's your type. No, no, come on, introduce me, introduce me. So Keith says, well, okay, listen, introduces her to Carrie. Joe and Carrie had this conversation that evening. Wow, as he was walking home that night, he thought, well, there's something different. Wow, about her. I don't know what it was, but boy, there's just something. There's something different. And so he calls her a couple days later, can we have coffee? And just, you know, 20 minutes between class, and they went and they had coffee, and you know, it lasted for two and a half hours. Missed the class. They were having a great time. There was something about her that was just drawing Joe and, 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 and Carrie was feeling the same thing. And, and so after a period of time, they just Joe asked, you know, could we date? And so they began to date and they would go out on dates. And, and I mean, something was really happening here. And, and, and they began spending more time together. And, and all of a sudden, Joe is all of a sudden watching movies that going out that he would never watched before. Anybody ever done that? And all of a sudden, he's eating food that he never would have eaten before. But he seems to be enjoying it, you know? And, And all of a sudden, he's not as interested in some of the other things because there's this new thing in my life and my life is changing and I love it. And this is so cool and they're just having this great time and this goes on for months and they enjoy this time together. And all of a sudden, this thought comes to Joe like, could this be the one? Whoa, I don't know. I know, I mean, I mean, there's Lydia, there's Linda, Pam, Cindy, yeah. I mean, there's all these things that I like doing. I mean, I love to be with the boys. I'd love to, I mean, if I were to do that, I mean, I'd, I'd have to give this up. Am I willing to turn from this to pursue this relationship? And after what is probably called a struggle of faith, I come to a point where, you know, yes, that's what I want. I want to, I want to go this way with my life and present. I know I'm gonna repent, I mean, I'm gonna turn from, I'm not gonna pursue any of this anymore. I am going to pursue this relationship with, her. I'm going to, if she will have me, I'm going to make it and take it my own and, and begin this new life. So the day comes. Carrie, will you marry me? She has three options. Three options. You know, Joe, I really like being with you and and I even like tagging along to church with you and stuff. And and you know that Bible study? I yeah, I like the Bible study, you know. But you know, but you know, I mean I got all, all this stuff to. I want to do it. I'm really a little more interested in, and and so you know, I I'm gonna I pass. I don't think so. It, I, it sounds good, but you know, I don't, I don't know. I just got the other stuff I want to do. Option one. Option two. Gosh, Joe, this is exciting. I mean, I really do. I really like you, and I mean, I really do, I mean, I love the church, I love to go to church, I love to learn, I love the Bible study lead and stuff, and man, I love you, this is great, but you know, I, man, I just, I mean, I, career, I've got, you know, i got some things that I'm doing, you know, and I, I tell you what, can we just put that ring over here, and maybe in 20, 30 years, we could get together again, and then we'll do this. Option three, Carrie says, Joe, you know, the, I, I'm feeling the same way. Ever since I've met you, I all of a sudden things something happened to me and, 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 you know, I, there were things I wanted to do in my life and there were things that were important to me in my life and there were things that I wanted to pursue in the world, in the career. But you know what? I, I, I can see now, this is the right decision. Yes, I want to be with you. Yes, I want to start a new life with you. And she takes it. And makes it her own. And several months later, the wedding takes place. And they went through this time (laughs) of sort of this is it, this is it. And we're gonna are we gonna really for the final put the final ring on and make this happen. They make it and take it their own, and they begin their new life pursuing. We gotta receive it. You gotta take it and make it your own. You need to believe. Not a bunch of information in your head. Fascinating story about a guy named George Wilson lived in 1833. Decided to rob the U.S. Mail Service, train, Pennsylvania. During the robbery, someone was killed. George Wilson was pursued by the authorities, captured, tried, found guilty, sentenced to hang. George Wilson had some high-level friends One of those friends went to the then-sitting president of the United States, a guy by the name of Andrew Jackson, gave him the facts. This man doesn't deserve to die. Andrew Jackson looked at the facts. He agreed, issued a pardon to George Wilson. George Wilson was to be pardoned and set free. He's in his jail cell. The jailer comes up, opens the cell. George, it's your lucky day. Here it is. You got a presidential pardon. All you got to do is sign right here to receive this. George Wilson looked at it, tore it up, dropped it on the floor. Now, this created an uproar, a stink. I know, what do we do? Here's a guy who's been issued a pardon but refused to sign it. He refused to receive it. He had the information. He had the knowledge in his head, but he didn't make it and take it for his own, went to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court said you must receive in 1834 because George Wilson did not receive it. He was hanged. Receiving is a critical thing. Believing is a critical part so that I, and I know that I can go into, once I've done it, begin this new life with Christ in the kingdom because he wants to use me to be his ambassador to influence others. So here's the third thing that Zechariah now is going to sing about this song. first thing, redeem, second thing, I've been saved, but I need to receive it and take it and make it my own. And this is what he sings in this stanza of verse seventy two he says and to show the mercy that is promised, see that word promised? It's really a covenant. What, what God is saying, here's the third thing. I'm gonna redeem you from your enemies, I'm gonna give you salvation, you can rec- if you receive it, and then I'm gonna give you a promise, a covenant. And it's very important, we'll see why in a second here. So he showed his promise to our fathers to remember his holy covenant that he made, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. See, a promise comes. A promise comes to you when you've been redeemed, when you have been saved from your enemies. There is a promise. Now, the promise goes something like this. For, Jesus, for them, it was the promise that Abraham, they looked forward to it because they knew about the promise. For us, we're on this side of the cross. Jesus now said to his disciples, I'm leaving, but I'm promising you I'm coming back. And I'm going to give you the comforter, the Holy Spirit, to guide you, teach you in your new relationship with me so that you have the power to overcome the flesh, all the enemies who want to take you out. How many, well, let me ask it this way. Do you feel like you have been redeemed and saved from your enemies and that you are living the abundant life I think if we're totally honest, a number of us would say, "Yeah, I don't think I am. Things are a mess. Yes, they're a mess. There's chaos in the world. Even our own relationships can become major challenges because of the flesh and our sinful nature. That's why Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to guide us and help us but sometimes we have a misunderstanding of what the kingdom of God is like. So let me use another metaphor to see if I can bring some clarity to this because this helped me to begin to really see and understand some things. Everyone here, do we know D-Day? D-Day, right? D-Day is the day. D-Day was the day when all the allies got together, World War II, to come together on this offensive against the enemy, the Germans, and on that day, the beachhead was attempted to be uh, captured and taken so that the, the, the good guys could, could establish a beachhead from where to move forward to win the war. So when D-Day happened, a cry went out throughout all the land. There was much death. There was much chaos, but there is victory. The enemy is on the run. The enemy is done for. And there was celebration around the world. Yes! Yes! The the tide has turned. Now, it took 11 months and two weeks for uh, all the allies to work through all the way up to Berlin to bring an end to the war. 11 months. What do you think happened during that 11 months, two weeks? There was chaos. There was death. There was frustration. There was angst. There was all kinds of turmoil. When Jesus came, and spent his 33 years teaching about the kingdom of God and coming, and when he died on that cross, he defeated the evil one. He redeemed you and saved you from your enemies if you are a true believer in Christ. But then he says, "I'm going away, but I'm coming back." Now the evil one knows he's done for. He knows it, because the beachhead has been established. But he's going to do everything from the time you come to know Christ till the time you die or until the time Jesus comes back to deceive you, kill you, destroy you, to steal from you, to do everything he can to put your light out. And that's why we need to understand what the kingdom is all about. God has a use for me in the kingdom. He doesn't want me to just have a coupon that somehow I could redeem he wants to use me and this is what's fascinating to me I love about this song is the fourth thing that 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 Zachariah is going to hit us with here is is in in uh, verse 74 is spiritual transformation the goal of God is that everyone would hear the good news and come into enter the kingdom but not everybody will receive it we know about it hear it but we choose that we'd rather live our life over here but once you do become a true believer, you know what his goal for you is? Spiritual transformation. Through the power of the Spirit and the word of God as we submit our lives to it and we worship the king. He's the king, he brought the kingdom. Do you know, in the word, well, let me, let me, let me read this to you. Let's read the verses, verse 74. This is Zechariah. Remember, we're talking about a 75, 80-year-old priest here. This is what he's singing. That we now, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might go to heaven. No, it doesn't say that. That we now, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might, number one, serve him, number two, without fear, number three, in holiness and righteousness for all the days of our lives. Four things, serving him. All of a sudden, when I come to know Christ, and, and just, just like when I met her for the first time or that special somebody, all of a sudden, I was awakened to a new reality. And when I, when I chose to put my trust and faith in him, the spirit of God comes into my life. And all of a sudden, I begin to realize life is no longer about me. It's about the new king and the kingdom. And I no longer want to participate in this thing called the kingdom of this world and all of those enemies that want to take me out. Lord, I, by your help now, I, I want to pursue you and serve you. That's why Jesus said, Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then all these other things will come. That becomes number one. But we have a new king who wants us to see him and understand him as king in the kingdom, and he wants us to be participating with him in the kingdom. Listen to what Romans 10, 9 says. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is, what's that word? Lord, Lord and King are the same words. Lord was used to the Gentiles, King was used to the nation of Israel. They saw him as King, Lord, but they are the same word. Lord and believe, there's that word believe, that action verb, doing in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved for the one, for with the heart one believes and is justified, not the head. And with the mouth one confesses. The word Lord appears 7,800 times in the scriptures, 7,800. The word Savior appears less than 30 times. Where's the emphasis? Where's the emphasis? It's the Lord. It's the Lord. Yes, he's our Savior, but he's Lord first. You know, and that's a word that for many of us, we've dropped it from our vocabulary because the 21st century American church only focuses on the one thing, and when we do that, we're handicapped because we don't understand the lordship of Christ and the kingdom, and he wants us to, as Zechariah has said, to serve him. Then he says, without fear. That's, you know, fear is the enemy of faith. When, when the, 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 this is very interesting. Without fear is the enemy of faith. The enemy, when, when we fear, we're giving into our emotions. So when you become a true believer and you pursue the knowledge of God, the wisdom of God, the truth of God, his word, his word will begin to, to, to uh, heal your mind to the point where you'll be able to see truth for the first time, real truth. And you see, what happens is your will is subject to either your mind or your emotions. If you do not know the truth and listen to the truth, then your emotions will control you, your flesh, and it will wanna drag you over here, and so you'll just go along with your emotions. But when healing comes in my mind, all of a sudden my mind knows what's right and wrong. My will is subject to my mind, and when my emotions want to go over here, they still will because we're all, we still have that sinful nature. The mind can go, "No, get back here." And bring us back to where truth is, to this path. As we, that struggle it is continuing, overcoming the, the, the enemy. But we can, we can spiritually transform it. Doesn't mean you're going to be perfect and not sin. No, it's a, it's a lifelong struggle of transformation for most of us. I love this. Uh, Paul says to the Philippians, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it all my own. In other words, what Paul is saying, I haven't, I haven't mastered this, but this is but the one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. Paul was a messed up guy. Calls himself chief among sinners. Every one of us in this room, we are messed up people. And it doesn't matter what your past was, but unfortunately too many believers are so hung up with the emotional scars of the past that what we do is we, we are controlled by those emotions and fear and, and worry and all these things grab hold of us because that's exactly what the enemy wants so that he, we quench the spirit of God in our life and we don't experience the abundant life over here. So Paul says, I, I've, I know that I've been redeemed. I know I've been saved from my enemies. Yes, I did all this junk in my back, but you know what? I've confessed that. Jesus has dealt with that. I'm forgetting that. Now there's one thing I'm going to focus on. It's my relationship with him. And it's what lies in front of me. And I'm going to strain forward to what lies ahead. I press towards the goal, the prize of my upward call to God. And then he says, the last part, he says, we get to serve him. No longer is life about me, but I get to serve him in the kingdom. Uh, and, and and I don't have to worry about fear now because I have the truth and I can pursue the truth. And I'm going to, um, this is all part of the spiritual transformation process. And then I get to walk in holiness and righteousness, which is really, I me. Mean, I got purpose and meaning in my life. This is the abundant life. This is where God wants to work in me and through me so that I no longer have the desire and passion for entertainment and technology and materialism and all of the other things that dominate my life or I have allowed to come into my life and I lose sight of my call and my desire for the things of God. And then the last thing he says is all the days of our life. I get to serve him without fear in holiness and right all the days of my life. This is a 75, 80-year-old guy. I mean, he, if anybody had ever right to, okay, I'm saved, take me to heaven, it'd be him. No. He's excited. He's pumped. I get to serve him without fear all the days of my life. There's a uh, parable in Luke 19. It's called the parable of the Mina. And it's a very interesting parable. It's similar to the parable of, the, prof, of the, uh, uh, the talents. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, there's something you need to understand, so I'm gonna give you a metaphor here, so listen carefully. There was a nobleman, Jesus is the nobleman, and the nobleman had to go off to a far country to receive the kingdom, but he is going to return. And so the nobleman called in the 10 disciples, gave each one of them a a, a mina, which is equivalent to a three months wage or so. And the point here is if you are a true believer, then God has given you a mina. And then it says a a while passed and Jesus returned The nobleman returned, and he brought in the disciples and said, hey, what'd you do with the mina that I gave you? And the first one says, Lord, you gave me the one, and here's 10. Now, I don't know what 10 means. What it means is I took the mina, the things that God had given me, I resisted the temptation to go here, and I pursued what I did in such a way that I'm invested in things that have eternal value, and there was fruit as a result of that in my life. Here's 10. Jesus says, well done. I'm going to put you over 10 cities. Next one comes in. How'd you do? Five. Five. Well done. That's outstanding. I'm going I'm to put you in charge of f- five cities. And then one comes in and says, here's your mina. I knew you to be a, a, a rough man who didn't plow, didn't sow where you plowed, who didn't, and, and I, here's, your, here's your mina. Basically, that's what he says. Jesus says, let's put this guy out. Now, here's the thought I want to leave you with. What are you doing with the mina that God has given you? Is, have you made, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness first? Doesn't mean you don't go to work. Doesn't mean you don't work hard. Doesn't mean you don't pursue, th- you know, doing what you've been called. It's just that what you do is nothing more than a pulpit for, to influence other people for the kingdom. What are you doing with the mina? that the Lord has given you. You're going to invest your life in something, either the things of the world that do not last, hay, wood, and stubble, or you're going to invest your life in the things that have eternal value. This is the message of the gospel. Quit messing with that, Blake, and start investing in this. Would you stand with me? Hmm. Let's close in prayer. Father, we just come before you and thank you for your word. We thank you for the King of Kings. We sang about it today. We thank you for the kingdom. Lord, would you grant us greater revelation of who we are in Christ? For that one who's here today that knows they don't have a relationship with you, Father, I pray the Spirit of God would move them, motivate them to want to to just pursue him, to grab hold of him, to take it and make it their own, to be redeemed, saved from the enemies that want to take us out. For those of us who are true believers, Father, would you grant us greater motivation and desire to pursue you submitting to the work of the Spirit of God in our lives so that we might serve you without fear, in holiness and righteousness, the days of our lives. Doesn't mean we're gonna be perfect, but it does mean you wanna do a work in our lives so that we might be used by you for your glory. May that be true of everyone in this room today. We thank you now in the precious worthy name, Lord Jesus Christ, and if you believe this, all those said, Amen. 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 God bless. Thank you. Have a good day.